everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 260, Irony Defined. Recorded December 4th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only place on the internet where geeks rant. That's right. Doesn't happen anywhere else. Anywhere else. You don't have to look it up. Don't go to Reddit. No, it only happens here. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, uh, the the two the, the stalwart isn't even the right word anymore. The they they are they are reliable, dependable, even more so than I am. Your hosts, folks. I'm the co-host tonight, uh, Miles Wakeham and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Miles, I, I I just can't say coin man. I just it's I don't like it. We're gonna find something else. Hey guys. Oh, okay. Hey Mark, and welcome back. And to all the Element OPI faithful, we're so glad you're here. Yep. Welcome from the zero humidity in the desert. Oh, that's I don't I know what that's of. like. There you go. Um, yeah. yeah, it's weird. <laughs> we, uh, it's been unseasonably dry here in Atlanta. Like we haven't had any rainfall to speak of, like a shower here and there since September. And for a place that's used to rain every six to seven days, uh, going 12 weeks without rain is just, you know, they didn't, they weren't, didn't know how to handle it. Well, uh, it has it has been raining essentially for the last four days nonstop. Um, so, but amazingly, even when we didn't get any rain for three months, the humidity was still like sixty five percent. It's uh, there's rivers, there's there's other water sources. I don't know how it happens. I don't get it. I'm not a meteorologist, but I am a Texan who grew up in dry heat, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fun times. So I did want to say mm. thank you guys for doing such a great job without me last week. Um, uh, I, I had, all right, here's the whole story. Uh, a friend of mine, um, I'm trying to defi- decide how far back it goes. A, f- a friend of a family friend, we'll go that way. So one of my best friends, um, back from back in Texas, his son, uh, and wife were going to be in town for one day only last week. And the wife happens to be, uh, a very skilled, uh, photographer. She does primarily wedding photography, but she also does family portraits. So we'd been working out for the last few weeks. They were they were originally from Maryland, uh, and they were in Florida visiting family, and and so they were going to swing out from Florida back up to Maryland just a little bit uh, uh, farther um, west here, and they were going to uh, fly through Atlanta. So I thought, well, while you're here, let's do uh, a photo shoot for the family photo shoot because the last family photo shoot we have the. Uh, the now 10-year-old was, like, months old. So it's it's been a while. So we planned all that, and then there were, you know, the as, as man plans, uh, the universe laughs, right? And what, what basically ended up happening was, as I was supposed to be doing this show, I was doing the photo shoot that was supposed to be happening originally, like, six hours earlier in the day. Um, and... Literally, I had. There's no opportunity to reschedule somebody who lives a thousand miles away, in you know, uh, uh, in an entirely different state, and who was only here for the one day. So I couldn't just say, "Oh well, never mind. We'll do it next week." So right. I just said, "Guys, sorry, you got two choices. We can either reschedule or you can do it on your own." And rescheduling was an option, so they did it on their own. So I really appreciate. It. It's really nice to know that I can do that. That I can actually have a life, and you guys will take uh, take over and run things. It was great. 
Um, and you still managed to do like an hour and 20 minutes. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> that, that was, that was Seth. He, he's the guy you can rely on here. He knows exactly what's going on. He kept me honest. The guy's a, the guy's a monster. He's great. I don't know about any of that, but <laughs> I, I was thinking, man, we'll do a short show, 30, 45 minutes and we'll be out of here. And then I was like, holy crap, we got to end this thing. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, there's still five news stories we didn't cover. <laughs> Welcome to my world, Seth. You didn't even do your own news stories. Nope. <laughs> and I didn't, um, I hadn't listened to the show before I published the notes. So I just threw everything up that was in the document. So there may be a lot of extraneous stuff there, but hey, um, more the more the merrier, I guess. Nobody looks at those anyway. Uh, anyway, I say right. all of that to say thanks. Um, and I do want to come back to this in a minute, but your uh, This Week in History was about, about MP3s. And I, it was weird. I had this experience listening to my own show talking to the podcast as i as i often say people do you know i can just hear people yelling at their podcast voice i was doing that because mp3s are it's it's you know it's a subject uh that i have uh a certain fascination with that i've done a lot of research on and, and i was like oh you you need to tell them seth you need to tell them this this is oh I, this i've got a great and then you just weren't listening to me um so now i know what you feel like millennials when, when you're yelling at your podcast because of something i was saying so I'll come back to that in a minute. But first, Seth, you were once again a world traveler, or at least a state traveler. Yeah, well, you know, Texas is like a whole other country. So, um, but no, I was down in Galveston because um, a, an acquaintance of mine for several years, they're restarting up a business. And somehow, I don't know how, but I'm going to kind of have a comptroller-like role in that business. It's going to be around here where I live, but they're currently living in Galveston. So I drove down there for a week and uh, kind of helped set it up. I got to learn some new software. And uh, anyway, I still really don't know what happened, but apparently I have a part-time job now. Okay. Well, is that part-time going to be full-time at some point? I don't know, but it, it's the kind of thing that I could then branch out into like being my own boss and like, you know, instead of just doing an odd fix your computer here or now, Seth Anderson, you know, I, I, I used to do everything under AAA technologies, but AAA technologies could actually become a real like business. So I, I don't know. I don't know yet because really I still, I was down there for a week working and I still don't know what happened. So it was just <laughs> weird. <laughs> well, one of the reasons I call this company Element OP Productions is that I hope at some point in the future to be doing all kinds of production stuff, right? So I, right. I built an, um, an umbrella. AAA Technologies is a great – that could mean anything. So right. you can do anything with that. And, you know, and it, it would show up first and, like, if phone books were still a thing. <laughs> yeah, like that matters anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, you know – Millennials don't even know it, what a phone book is. No, but when I started it, like – Golly, I guess it's been eight or nine years ago. Phone books were still a thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool. And then when you came back, uh, the Bitcoin miner that you had mentioned last week arrived. So have you plugged it in and made millions yet? 
Well, no, I did plug it in and then, like I found the setup guide and then I go to log into it. Well, they didn't put it back to the default information. So I'm like trying this and trying. And so I emailed him and he told me I got an email back with what it is. And so I'm waiting uh, till I get back home because it looks like it's going to run about 15 amps. So when we built our house, uh, my dad had the uh, foresight to put each bedroom on its on circuit. And, you know, there were four kids in the house and now it's only me and him. So there's these extra. So I'm going into one of the bedrooms and that's going to be the only thing on that circuit. Um, so it should handle the 20 amp because we used like humongous wire that is like way overkill because, you know, you better be overkill than burn the house down. So I want to be there while it's running for the first, you know, day or two just to make sure that I don't smell smoke and right. have to unplug it. But well, um, you should have these things called breakers that prevent that. They can, but if it's really close and if, if, you know, sometimes if that wire's running hot because it's not quite big enough to pull that amperage, it can get hot and melt stuff. And that wouldn't necessarily trip the breaker or it might trip it after the fire had started. So just, you know, it's one of those, I'm, I'm 99% certain nothing's going to happen, but I just want to be there just in case. So that's essentially going to be like running a microwave 24 seven, 365. Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I turned it on the other day and it, it was, it was mighty loud. It was, but it was just the fans pushing air through because of this particular model. But yeah, it pretty much, like I say, 10 to 15 watts somewhere in there is about what it's going to be pulling on a consistent basis. No. Wow. Amps. You, you're talking Amps. Thousand, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. A thousand to 1500 watts. Yeah. Well, I run I run a half rack of servers for fifteen amps. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a three U server basically with uh, right. wads of processing running. So I'm gonna like I say, um, electricity is cheap where I live, so I can afford it. And if it if it does good, you know, we've got th- two other bedrooms that aren't doing anything, so I can have one. <laughs> I can have one in each bedroom, and uh, you know. Like, I'm not going to get rich, but it, it should be an extra 20, clear an extra 20 bucks a month. So why was the so guy the selling <laughs> um, Well, it turned, he, um, he replied back with him. He was in business with somebody else and that somebody stiffed him for quite a large sum of money. So he went in and seized all the assets and is selling them off to recoup some of that okay. thievery. So... All right. That, that's why. Wow. And like I say, this is an older model. If you're in somewhere like he's in pretty close to the DC area, you know, highly urbanized area, electricity is going to be a lot more expensive up there. So out here on my co-op, I'm, my electrical costs are probably less than half of his. He would probably just barely break even running this, maybe a couple of bucks. Yeah. So if you stacked up, a hundred of those, you could actually have an income. <laughs> Dude, my the power company would probably chase me down if I ran a hundred of them. Well, I'm just, but, if you've uh, done the math and that the the power consumption, uh, if what you're going to put in, what you come out. So if you've done the math and it comes out to $20, uh, $20 a month, then if right. you stacked up a hundred of them, you could make, you know, uh, a $25,000 mediocre part-time job. Yeah, but you know, as the difficulty increases, that number's going to go down. So yeah, but you know, it'll 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 drop 
a few pennies a month. So, Miles, and, you've you've done more of these calculations than I have. Uh, when the the complexity increases and the number of halves down, has how has the price held with that? I mean, are are we just getting screwed with when that happens in big time, or is it or is it balancing out? Uh, no, I think we. I think there's a lot of factors that are outside of the the efficiency of mining and the cost of mining that is contributing to price point. Um, we're we're reducing down the available number of bitcoins, so naturally you would see an increase in price. So that would mean that for every new bitcoin that is mined, the value should be consistently increasing. The problem is the amount of time it takes to mine that bitcoin is also going longer because there are more players in there grabbing for that, you know, block. Um, so, you, I don't know. I think there's a there's some, there's some economics in Seth's favor on this. Um, there's a lot of times, though, with things that we see in, in the hard forks and, and changing of block sizes and all these things that there's a lot of tricks and traps, which I guess, Seth, you're going to become the expert on as, we, as you get into this. Some people who can sort of usurp others on the mining pools and take away things that would be naturally yours so your yield reduces. There's, there's all these things going on that you, I guess you have to actually be in it to see that stuff. I've heard them talking about this on Reddit and so on, but I've never actually done it. So I don't know, Seth, you're, a, you're at, the, um, at the core of genesis of it all. I guess you're probably going to be able to teach me something about this. Well, I, you know, I just I think it's cool, and I, it's just I've been fascinated with Bitcoin since I really um, since basically our financial February that we did. I've just become fascinated with it, and I'm I'm never I don't think I'll be a Bitcoin billionaire, but. I would like to be involved in the community more. And I figure if I'm a miner, that's at least a step in the right direction. Oh, yeah. You absolutely do that. Just whatever you do, pay your taxes. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got a document going with the amount of money I've put into Bitcoin and the amount of money I've taken out. So as long as that number stays negative, I'm okay. (laughs) Well, you'd think that. uh, But I used to think that... uh, um, an American could make money overseas without having to pay in the U.S. So uh, things that make sense don't make sense when it comes to taxes. Well, that's true. So MP3s, quick, quick little thing about MP3s. You, you were talking about some, one of the things you said was there was you were surprised at how early on the MP3 was invented, considering it didn't really become a thing uh, until the mid '90s. Um, the Fraunhofer Institute, uh, when they did this, it was a mathematical model. And I saw uh, saw an interview with one of the guys who did this, and and he said at the time he told his coworker, "This is great. Too bad it takes a supercomputer to do it." Um, so it, it was totally theoretical. They thought they'd never been able to test it. It was a mathematical model that they were pretty sure would work, uh, but it took almost uh, twenty years for the technology to become available. And now your watch can do it. Um, and the mathematical model was the the Fraunhofer Institute. They were uh, modeling. Uh, human perception they weren't they didn't really set out to create a compression algorithm for audio but uh, one of the things they were trying to figure out was what can a human actually hear at any given time and they did all kinds of math on that and so let's say for example i'm sitting here doing this podcast um, and while i'm doing the podcast the fire alarm in my house goes off and it's 
super loud, 150 decibels. But because I am a determined and stubborn podcaster, I continue speaking to you. Um, you will not hear anything I say. You will hear the fire alarm. The fact that I'm speaking is irrelevant. It's still there. Those sounds are there, uh, but you won't be able to hear it because the fire alarm will um, supersede them in your perception. Well, that's what the MP3 uh, model is all about. It's about removing things that you can't hear anyway. So when when you got a, a drum and a guitar and a and a singer and you you got all these things going at the same time, um, some signals uh, uh, overpower others. Some um, um, are mixed together, uh, and so they they created this mathematical model and said this is what a human should hear of the music that is being played. Uh, so that's how you get this. Um, it's it's lossy, and that's what the purists complain about. It's lossy compression, but what's lost in theory, is what you can't hear anyway. And so that's why for an entire generation, um, and you know, I, I count myself among that, the MP3 is good enough. No, it's not pristine, high-quality reproduction, but it's good enough. Why is it good enough? Because the stuff it was throwing out, I couldn't hear anyway. So there you go. That's the, the brilliance of the MP3 and how it, it literally changed the world. I mean, uh, the MP3. You you may uh, think of being a podcast listener in terms of podcasting, but it's everywhere. And, and the reason they do it, the the three of MP. It's the 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 layer three of the motion picture experts group format, the MPEG, um, and the layer three is the audio. So they were looking at a way: <clears throat> how can we com- digitize and compress video? Uh, if you've ever dealt with raw AVI files out of a, an old style uh, DVI camera. Uh, those things are something like 300 megabytes per second of video. Uh, and so it was just, there's no way we could do what we do today without compressing that. So the Motion Picture Experts Group tapped the Fraunhofer Institute and said, hey, can we use your algorithm? And that's how it came to be known as the MP3. So there you go. Cool. All right. Yep. That didn't spur <laughs> any conversation at all. <laughs> um so i was uh, talking to uh, a friend of mine (laughs) at church today um and uh what's going on in the chat room a lot of software renders an mp4 these days i think that's to cover over video and audio actually mp4 anyway never mind i'm not going to go into what mp4 is um it's it has very little to do with mp3 um I was at church today, and a friend of mine there, and my my friends know, you know, that I podcast because it's on my schedule. Hey, let's get together Sunday night. No, I can't do that. I got a podcast. Uh, you know, it's it's something that we talk about. Um, and this is a guy who's known me for five years, and he said I was doing some painting uh, this week, and I found myself with hours alone, and so I decided to listen to one of your podcasts. And uh, and I said, okay, what'd you think? <laughs> and he said something that i've heard so many people say over the years with surprise in his voice i actually liked it <laughs> so i think maybe that should be the new motto for the show geek rant you'll actually like it it's it's i get that all the time i don't know what people are expecting i really don't what are people expecting out of a podcast are they expecting drug is it like do they think it's going to be a um a, a seminar at a insurance conference i don't i don't know what they're expecting but uh, so many times people say, I actually liked it. You don't have to say it with so much surprise in your voice. You really don't. <laughs> um, anyway, you guys ever get that experience? No, Seth, you can't even get anybody to listen. So you wouldn't have that. Yeah. Well, you know, 
I had a coworker and I, you know, I just started a job and he was in the tech department. I said, so do you listen to podcasts? He goes, I listened to one one time on how to secure and, uh, a wireless network. And I'm like, okay. So the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, I mean, just like he should have just said no. I am so used to living in a house where everybody doesn't listen to anything I say anyway, so this is just fine. <laughs> uh, one, of, one of the guys I used to work with, we had a, a sort of a running joke. One day I, I said something and he said, that's a great idea. And I was like, you don't have to be so surprised. I do occasionally have good ideas. It happens, believe it or not. And so that was sort of a running joke that anytime somebody said something, everybody else would go, that's a good idea. Um I forgot where I was, and and in my new job, somebody said something kind of obvious, and I said, that's actually a good idea, and it made them mad, because uh, they thought I was making fun of them. It was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Humor doesn't translate from one place to another. Then I had to go apologize and say, no, see, here's the thing. Here's the backstory. I was like, yeah, it was a good idea, but I wasn't surprised. Anyway, just be careful about sarcasm. That's what I got to say about that. <laughs> That's all I got to say about. <laughs> I, I, so many asides. I saw an interview with Tom Hanks. He was on the Graham Norton show. You, you watch that show? Uh, probably not. It's on BBC. Uh, I only know it through YouTube clips. But anyway, he um, the, Graham Norton likes to get people to recite lines they're famous for. And he had Tom Hanks on there and had him recite the you know, I was running script and, and Tom Hanks said 22 years later, this is the one I've done so many movies. I've done so much. I've directed, I've acted, but this is the thing that I will ever be known for saying I was running. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what made me think of that, but I had uh, that story popped into my brain and I had to say it. It was my bad Tom Hanks impersonation. Was that it? So, it, it was. <laughs> okay. See, it was so bad. You only subconsciously <laughs> recognized yeah, I didn't even it. notice. um all right so let's get on to uh listening what uh to to what you the listener have to say so we have some feedback because i was we uh did we miss a week no we did we didn't miss a week anyway uh it's been a while since i i was here to read feedback about the uh the millennial show the and honestly it's not really fair to call it that but that's kind (laughs) of what it was it was kind of the millennial show um it's kind of like the burping episode. It wasn't <laughs> the name of it, but that's what it will be forever known as. Yeah. So anyway, we have some, uh, all the feedback this week is from millennials. Uh, well, actually one of them is not, I don't think, but all of it is, is about that episode. So this one from Kirk, and this is just in the order they arrived in my end basket. I'm not, uh, I'm not giving anybody any preferential, just this is what they are. So Kirk uh, comments on uh, his words, whiny millennials. Hello, Element Opie. I wanted to expand on millennial attitudes and how it fed into the post-election riots. Many of them have been brainwashed into thinking they deserve high wages and good results, but are simultaneously cynical toward work, believing that it needs to be fun and that working hard will only benefit the man and that your savings will be stolen from you by a system. As Mike Rowe points out, there's a strong bias against vocational work, operating on the belief that white-collar slash non-labor jobs are the only way to prove your worth as a human being. 
too many go to a high price college, rack up jet debt, and then a degree that won't earn them a good living. Think English lit. There are legitimate grievances, but while the cost of living has gone up, the ability to own a house and other uh, equality has gone down. No one's making a political statement by saying uh, staying home and not looking for work. Opting out or demanding that the system uh, to change is not a solution. Improve your skills, launch a website, create a business, get a part-time job. There are always ways to recover from the decline in our standard of living, which isn't easy to detect, but in the gut of uh, in the glut of fancy gadgets and unlimited internet. Miles mentioned that his daughter doesn't know what she wants to do in college, and Rose philosophy might apply. Don't got to go to a college not knowing what you want to do. It could be a costly mistake. Community college slash trade school or an apprenticeship might suffice, or just plain old work. In short, brainwashing. The resulting cognitive dissonance, dissonance plus rising costs have created whining millennials. Some of their Elon is a result of not producing value. To expand on Larry Blinder's point, um, many, although he focused on men, want a physical legacy and making apps or Reddit posts ultimately leaves us unfulfilled because they are so expendable. Web 2.0 creates a veneer of making something, but a successful website or YouTube channel probably won't leave a lasting impression to Gen ADD, unlike building a house or inventing a technology. Sorry for my rambling. Hopefully there's a point in there somewhere. Thanks, guys. So uh, that was a that was an effective rant, Kurt. He did really good. And one thing he only touches on here, but I think part of the reason that people aren't getting ahead today is there's so many things that if you're older than us, you look at has luxuries. Cell phones with data plans, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, all of these little tiny things that drain your income and your wealth, but you don't notice it because it's only a little at a time. And then you look up five or 10 years later and you don't have anything to show for it. Now, that's not the only reason. He touched a lot of points on here, you know, uh, wage stagnation and things like that. But I think nobody wants to admit that that is part of the reason that wealth accumulation has slowed down for a lot of people because they spend it on little shiny baubles and it's nickel and dimed away on these services and you know the 49 cent uh booster and candy crush or whatever that you do 10 times well you know seth that's a good point in that uh that there's an entire industry that has has evolved around making you spend money without realizing you're spending money um you know i've often referred to the economics of state fairs um, you go to a state fair and your money's no good there. You have to buy coupons. And so right. for $20, you buy 50 coupons or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> and it's always a number like that, like 20 gets you 50. So it's not an, you can't easily say each coupon's worth a quarter. Each, each coupon's worth 37.385 cents. It, it's, it's designed, it's, in, it's uh, purposely constructed so that you lose concept of money. So when you go to the Midway and you buy a lemonade for seven tokens, you don't think about the fact that you just paid eight fifty for a lemonade. Um, you just, oh, it's tokens. And then it's also designed in such a way that you almost always leave the park with tokens or, or coupons or whatever in your pocket. That's, they, they have no value anywhere else. They won't have value you know, in a week. Um, they're useless, but that is money you got, you paid up front. That, that is j- just value. That's, you know, that's like the VIG, the phrase you used last week, um, that the, the money lenders take, you know, the, the guys at the booth took in money and at the end of the night, the vendors are going to come get money out. Well, that's extra money. 
And so that model has been around forever. Um, but right. app developers, Candy Crush, and these guys like it, uh, when I first saw it way back when was in Second Life. Um, the, there was a whole infrastructure there, and everything was in, in Linden dollars. Uh, and and the it was designed in such a way to that you forget that this is real money. And you link your PayPal account to it, and just you know, in game, um, you you spend money to buy a sword or whatever, and it just is just there, and you don't think about it. And then you know, now on the, um, I remember Apple uh, famously got sued for kids buying like fish uh, upgrades in their aquarium game and spending uh, hundreds of dollars of their parents' money, not knowing they were they were doing it. This is a finely honed craft of making sure you don't know how much money you're spending. And I think that Netflix and Amazon and their uh, subscription uh, pol- uh, uh, policy, and, and I think you're right on that this is not only have they fallen into that trap, but it's a carefully orchestrated, well-laid trap designed for that very purpose. Yeah. And, you know, and again, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but for me, it kind of, it caused me to quit playing so many games I used to enjoy playing. I just got fed up with how limited you were if you didn't shovel money down them constantly. You know, I I don't mind paying for a good game, but so many of those games aren't good. They're they're time-wasting games, and I I just don't want to play them unless it's going to cost me money to play them. And so, you know, I mean, anyway, that's just a little mini rant, and I've had it often. But anyway... I just wanted to talk about that for a second. Well, can I, uh, let me think about this one a little, well, I've been thinking about a little, this a little bit. Um, Kirk has some interesting points and I take it from reading his uh, email here that he is not a millennial. So, because there's nothing in here suggesting that, that he probably has uh, some age more than a millennial. Um and I don't know if there's uh, – I, I agree with some of his points. I'm not sure if I agree with all of them. I think there's a lack of um, maybe some empathy to what somebody in their 20s has to go through. I mean, we all probably remember what it was like for us. They were not – you know, we all thought we were invincible. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, that sounds good, but really it was tough. We all had it tough trying to work out who we wanted to be, what we wanted to do. Getting that first job, even getting through that first interview, it's scary. Uh, it's a whole new world out there. And I don't, uh, I think that, you know, you have to be sympathetic to what people have to go through at that point. At the same time, you don't want to hear people saying that they feel entitled to something. And I think Kirk's saying that he hears that. Um, I'm also, I agree with what he's saying in terms of people wanting to, have a purpose in life, right? Have build something of value, build something you can put your name to that you feel proud of that has a lasting effect. Um, when I was, I don't know, probably 14 or 15, I remember sitting down with my father and saying to him, well, you know, what are you going to, he was sort of asking me, well, what do you want to do when you, you know, when you get older? And I said, well, you know, I, I was lucky. I was, uh, a musician at a very young age at the age of five i was playing a violin i ended up becoming a classical guitarist um and i said to him you know if i had my choice i would follow a career in music but i am pragmatic and i realized that i don't want to be a starving artist for my life i mean i want to have some economic value you know and he's and we kind of worked out that i liked hacking computers and cb radio and electronics and 
And it was sort of like, well, he basically said, well, you know, I can either, it, it, he would suggest from his point of view, from what he saw, he told me, be a lawyer. I said, well, yeah, but I think I'd go bored out of my brains doing something <laughs> like that if I was just having a, you know, parrot case law all the time. I mean, there's nothing in that. And then I said, well, I'd, maybe I should be, a, you know, in technology. And we kind of came to a conclusion that, that wasn't such a bad idea. And it worked out well for me. I was lucky I found my passion at a very young age. Um, so I could follow that. Kids uh, who didn't have that opportunity or weren't, they were, maybe they were too distracted. Maybe they, was, they had their heads stuck in a phone too much or an iPad too much where they didn't get a chance to go out and experience the world detached from the digital internet. And they could go out and sort of say, you know what, I enjoy what those people do at that store cooking or I enjoy selling or I enjoy fixing roofs or whatever it might be. You're not going to get that experience with your head stuck in a phone, people. <laughs> You've got to get out of the phone. You've got to go out into the real world. You've got to sample platter the real world and work out what you like the taste of the most. And if you get that, then you maybe you've got a path forward. I don't know. Um, in, in response to Kirk, he mentioned that my daughter didn't know what she wants to do in college. He's right. Um, but what we ended up doing was focusing on the fact that these days um, a college degree kind of has the same efficacy as a high school diploma now. Um, you you know, it's very, very hard to get even into a an interview without something like that, no matter what you want to do. And I didn't want her to be crippled uh, as a result of not having it, having it. And so I did take a very conservative approach and funded her college degree. And I guess, as you know, that's kind of just what I thought was going to be the right thing for it. It's still up to her what she wants to do. Uh, and I and we still haven't kind of worked that out yet. But you know, like I said, they've got to get their heads out of their phones and go out in the world and sample platter what's going on in life and find out what they want. And sometimes, you know, like people in Europe, they'll take a year off and they'll go travel the world to get that experience. That's just normal part of life. Um, I'd love it if she would do something like that. But, you know, I don't know if she ever will. <laughs> so, yeah. So, in, anyway, in response to his rants and my rants going on top of it, I hear what he's saying. I think there's a lot of interesting points in here, some of which are very, uh, are very uh, you know, important. Um, but my guess is that most of the kids out there who don't know what they want to do are too distracted to be able to go out and see what's really available to them so they can find it. When, um, when these discussions you know, come up, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, when these discussions no, come ahead. up, I always uh, like to rely on a favorite quote of mine. And that is, uh, if the world depends on the youth of today, I can't see it lasting more than 100 years. And that quote was Plato. So the fact is, um, the the generation in power has always thought the the coming up generation was going to wreck the place, and so far it hasn't happened. So no, I think no. we're all right. <clears throat> so yeah, moving on, too. Austin defends millennials. Says, "Hey guys, Mark, you are a turd ball." I'm writing to say thanks for providing me with many hours of entertainment. I, I, I said in the, at the end of that show, if you want to say that I'm a turd ball, this is how you do it. So there you go. I'm writing to say thanks for providing me with many hours of entertainment through your Geek Rant podcast. I've been listening to your show nearly every week for the past few years, and I've unfortunately never contacted you before now. Well, in episode 259, I found out that I, a, a millennial, am a small majority 
uh, of your user base. Uh, I think you meant a small minority. Uh, that's a shame because your show is truly incredible and deserves a vast audience. I would like to respond to your comments, a rant in your words, on millennial generation, uh, dirtbags in your words, in episode 259. All right, let me defend myself. I was referring specifically to the subset of millennials who were rioting and burning stuff. Those were the dirtbags. Okay. Um, in, the hope of <coughs> to, in, in the hope to somehow give another point of view to the conversation. I hope we can all agree that those who are protesting currently are protesting incorrectly and not effectively. It's a shame and an embarrassment to my age group. I also hope that you understand this is a very, very small portion of the millennial population. Sure, some of us are upset about the election, but we aren't taking it to the streets of our colleges or even on our blogs. Should we? I don't think so. I agree when you said there is a way to change the way things are run without violent protesting. And I would confidently say that most of us believe that. Maybe I'm generalizing here. Maybe not. What will get us going? I'm not sure. I think we're already moving in some ways, but most of us are stuck. A full-time job would be fantastic, but a majority of the jobs uh, now are unpaid internships. Not sure I agree with that. Thankfully, I work my butt off, worked my butt off in college uh, through working a minimum wage job as an intern and as a volunteer. I now have a full-time job teaching music. I was able to save my money and earn enough scholarships to graduate nearly debt-free. Others aren't so lucky. You challenged me to do something, a mission of sorts. Well, as a teacher, I'm in a position to change many lives. One of the goals as a teacher is to show my students that when they are faced with challenges, they need to face them head on. My students now, still millennials, are intelligent and they know how to work hard. I know from personal experience, even though I am one teacher, I hope to make a difference in at least one person's life, making the world a better place. I would love to say more, but I must get back to greeting and listening to another episode of Geek Grant. Thanks again, Austin. P.S. I sent you some some Bitcoin a few days ago. I hope you got it. Drinks on me. Um, yes, I did get that. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate you putting your money where your mouth is. Truly, I do. Um, guys, I'll let you comment before I defend myself well first of all i think austin this is one of the better listener feedbacks uh he would fit well in on the show so if we ever want to have like a guest millennial aged co-host one week i i I like his style i think it would be good anyway good good feedback austin i really enjoyed reading this good job i i'll probably comment more later as you get going but that's all for now (laughs) Oh man, I don't want to. Uh, he sounds like a really nice guy, um, but there's, <laughs> and she's got but, a great personality, but, <laughs> really. But oh, I, I'm sorry. A quote from a Woody Allen movie keeps coming to mind: "Those who well, those who can't do teach, and those who can't teach teach Jim." Um, so, anyway, I, what I meant by that was, um, if you want to go out and change people's lives as a teacher. Go out and become a great musician and then come back and tell the people that you're teaching what it's like to be a great musician. That, that would be, and I'm saying this as a recording producer from a past life, um, it's one thing, we, we want to be able to teach kids and bring them forward and, and make them see a world, but, but we have to be able to pass to them some experience that we've had first. And so that would be, you know, I'm not going to make any friends saying that, I know, but I I had to say it. Sorry, Austin. You do sound like a nice guy, though, so forgive me. Well, I I came from education. That's my background. I spent 15 years working in that. I married a teacher. um, but And I I get your point. Uh, I saw every day people who literally never left school. My wife is one of those. She's never had a job 
that wasn't school other than like a part-time, you know, secretary babysitter job. She went from high school to college, from college to elementary school. And that's where, and, and from elementary to now preschool. And that's where she's been her whole life. She's never left school. She doesn't know the, the quote unquote real world. She has no clue. Um, I don't think that's an indictment against her, but it is a reality. Um, but unfortunately, we demand of our teachers that they teach and do nothing else. And it's actually very difficult for somebody who wasn't a teacher all his life to get a job as a teacher, in my experience. You, you have to come straight out of college with your pedagogy degree um, to get a teaching position, at least in public school. It may be different in private schools. But the, the musician who went out and saw the world, the superintendent looks at that res- uh, resume as uh, a, a somebody who's not going to be dependable, somebody who's not in- institutionalized and indoctrinated. Uh, so it is a it is a failing system, and it's one of the reasons I got out of it. I was a, a rat jumping off a sinking ship. Um, so I agree with you. I think that teachers should have real world experience. Trouble is they they're not going to get hired, at least in my experience. But also I want to uh, that same thing to Mile. Uh, excuse me, uh, Austin. Um, he said that most of the jobs out there are internships. Um, that's just not true, man. It's just not. There are all kinds of jobs in the world. It just may not be a job you want. Um, when I was in college, I, I scrubbed toilets. I flipped burgers. Not, not at the same time. Um, you know, I mowed lawns. I, 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 there's all kinds of stuff out there. As I drive to work every day, I see help wanted signs at, at Kentucky fried chicken and at, you know, New York pizza exchange and at Jimmy John's, uh, there's work all over the place. May not be work you want, and it may not be, you know, $30,000 a year professional wage work, but there's work everywhere so for anybody for any human to say there is no work in america that's just a lie it's just flat not true you're either not paying attention or you're not being honest i don't know which it is but it's just not true that there's no work it, yeah, i can back that up I'll, I'll back that up i've got an interesting story i've got a guy who uh, we have a lot of dogs we have six dogs in our ha- in our family which is my wife is a sucker for going to rescue dogs Anyway, as a result of having six dogs, six dogs poop a lot, right? <laughs> My backyard gets a lot of poop in it, and it would be at least two hours a week of work. There you go. <laughs> it would be two hours of work a week to go and pick the poop up, and I, I swear it's, it's that much poop. I, I've never seen so much in my life. Anyway, I, um, I decided I wanted to hire somebody to pick up my dog poop. And if you ever go into Craigslist and you look on the lines, there are people who do that. You know, they'll charge you, I don't know, $50, $75 a month or something to pick up your dog poop. Well, uh, I went out and I found a guy and he's been the best worker I've ever seen in my life. This guy's an ex-police officer. He must have left the police force for one reason or another. I, I do not know the whole story, but he is a very stand-up guy, a very disciplined, a lot of integrity but you know what he does for a living is he picks up dog poop. Now, you know, it's not a job that you or I would want to come out of college saying, well, my goal in life is to fix up, pick up dog poop. No, it's not. But you know what? I pay that guy probably, I don't know, $60, $70 a month to pick up dog poop. He comes once a week and he clears my yard and he takes it away. Now, if I'm one of, I don't know, let's say 30 clients that he has picking up dog poop, 
do the math. This guy's probably making more money than he was making as being a police officer. And you tell me there's no work out there. There's work out there. It's just not work that anybody wants to do. So if you get down off your high horse and you do it, you can actually probably make more money than the jobs that you do want to do. But the thing is that nobody wants to do it. So I don't know. I, you know, there's a good opportunity out there. Picking up dog poop is probably a, guru, a good money-making business. Maybe franchise it. I don't know. Yeah, when I'm out, you know, doing my yard work or in my own house, you know, pulling cables in hot attics, one of my go-to lines is, I went to college so I didn't have to do this crap. Um, and and that's true. <laughs> I went to college to escape a world of menial labor. Uh, and so I certainly understand somebody coming out of a college, especially if they went to a, you know, $400,000 private school um, and they can't find a job um, that uses their $400,000 education. I get them thinking there are no jobs, but it's just not true that there are no jobs. Um, you you overpaid for your degree. You got the wrong degree. I, I don't know what the answer to that is, but there's work. There's lots of work. Um, and, and let's be honest. Everybody in college took their student loan money and used it for many, 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 <laughs> many Many, many, many things that had absolutely nothing to do with their education. Did you come out of college with a brand new Xbox, uh, shiny rims on your 1957 Pinto or whatever, and $500,000 in debt because you bought the beer at the keg party every weekend so let's be real personal finance isn't taught in the home it isn't taught in the school it is taught in paying that minimum payment for the rest of your life to pay off your student loan and you know you're a you're an idiot i was an idiot with my loans and i wasn't as idiotic as other people but i mean let's face it that is another reason that people are so broke is they were stupid the first time they got a sizable sum of money yeah yeah it's true it's true i mean look at the here's the other problem there's a lot of confusion as to purpose um both in terms of what we want to do with our lives and mission uh, as austin mentions in his email um, but there's also a sense of purpose in regards to the money side of things. I mean, do we work to be, why do we work? Why do we want to give 40, 50 years of our life to a job, to an employer? I mean, there's all these questions, which when I sort of wanted to start at my, my, I guess, call it working life, um, I questioned, I didn't think that the system was going to work for me and it kind of didn't. I mean, I've always been pretty much. And uh, you know, on my own, a self-employed guy. Um, the reality is, you need income to come to you from some source, and you can spend, you can sell your hours, you can sell your labour to get it, or you can buy a bunch of assets and let the assets generate money and let that money come to you. You mean rich like people choose the latter, minor. <laughs> or, or or a house, Smart rent, buy income. a house, right? That's where the sweet spot is because there's one thing that's going to be almost certain in the next five, ten years, and that is the amount of work out there is going to be eroded away by automation, artificial intelligence, robots. There's not going to be that many jobs out there. So Including if the you building own- that we talked about earlier. You know, uh, uh, Kurt said that, that humans need to build things. Humans mm-hmm. aren't going to be building things 100 years from now. It's just not. Right. Right. That's true. 
That's true. So let's say that instead of you needing to have to build things, you chose to because you wanted to as this expression, and therefore you didn't need to have to earn money because you bought, you know, a bunch of rental properties or a bunch of, you know, may- maybe you worked out a way to use uh, ec- economics in your favor. Maybe you bought some Bitcoin, you sat on it for 10 years. Maybe you, I don't know. This is the thing. The challenge is out there for all of us to solve this. It's, there's no, somebody's not got the answer for you. You've got to go and work it out. But when you work it out, if you generate income that comes to you that's not from your physical labor, then you win. And that's the goal we should be focusing on in my opinion, that, that's my little ad- additive rant here. Here's a way to say that that people can remember. You can either work for your money or you can make your money work for you. So, yeah, there you go. And see, I'm, I'm not going to offer any advice on this because I stumbled off balance and backwards into every good thing in my life. I didn't start out with a plan. I didn't work the plan. Um, you know, I, I am where I am by the grace of God and happy accident. Uh, so I'm not going to say that I uh, have any wisdom to offer anybody, but I do know that I wouldn't be where I was if I didn't know how to work. Work is important. Um, oh, it is. And the last bit from Wesley says, millennials are listening. Hey, Mark and gang, my roommate and I listened to the last three episodes over the holiday as we made our drive to our hometown. So says to me that he's probably a college student. Thank you for the entertainment, discussions, and most importantly, the rants. First thing I want to note is that there that we are both millennials who listen. Maybe the 1% who do. Anyway, uh, your rants on entitlement are so true. My generation has developed a sense of, I was told this would happen, so it must happen attitude. Fortunately, I've met many people my age who are hardworking individuals who take the leap uh, who and taking leaps and bounds to earn their lives um, rather than having them given to them. I can say I too had a point where I was not sure I wanted what I wanted out of life and it all just uh, and I wanted it all to just happen as if it works that way. After a few years of college I realized my love of work ethic and wanted to just be my best but work and learn my way to earn my own living mostly to make my own family proud and provide me something back uh, provide something back to them someday. Second, Miles, my fellow Phoenician, um, you have such a good good content to add to the commentary, but I find myself turning up the sound or having to turn it down. I'm not sure if this is the first input or the, uh, or the recording software or Mark's at it after, but as a listener, trying to hear you, Miles, is difficult. I'll take the blame for that one. I, I, I don't have that experience, but I'll have to look at that. Um, third, ever think about adding a website to the Google Music podcast description? I've been thinking for months. You say lmnop.com, not elementop.com. We had a good life thinking, laugh thinking how easy it was to miss that. Fourth, gunner glasses. I've heard are awesome, but I found something I believe works just as well, and it's free. Uh, I believe it has a Linux version, too. It's a program called iFlux. It dims the display, taking out bright blue. You can set it there all the time or just at night or when the light become, uh, when the light becomes more sensitive. Super helpful. I use it all the time, and I forget it's running. Um, for my real and new contribution to the show, routers. I would like to say I've had a 12-plus year router, and I finally upgraded it. I bought a Linksys AC5400 tri-band router, and this thing is a beast and very simple to get running. For years, I've done research, and most routers seem to be uh, seem to suck. And now we might have a breaking point and start having some good quality residential products come out. My next step is a NAS server and Plex server for my home network setup. So you threw a lot of stuff at us uh, there, my friend, and uh, let me uh, parse through some of it. Uh, Element OP, that, that was the joke. That was the whole point. Element OP is supposed to be LMNOP. That was it. Um, uh, but if you Google my name... 
it's pretty easy to find although i'm not the only mark cockrell out there um also we got a lot of people commenting on flux or iflux or some version of it um and i think we mentioned it on the show maybe we didn't uh, probably not because we got all the, the feedback about it um so yeah those are out there personally i don't like them uh, I don't want my computer screen. I want my computer screen to display things as they should look. If I'm looking at a photo of a tree. I want it to look like a tree, not look like an Escher painting. Uh, and that's what some of those things can do. Um, so there's my feedback, guys. Anything? Uh, I, Redshift was another one I came across. So there are there's a multitude out there, and you know it's one of those things. I don't think it would be as good as the the gunner glasses, but it might. If that worked, it might help. It might point you in the direction that you're not going insane, that somehow your eyes don't interact properly with the computer screen. All right. Well, yeah, and it's a it's a validation that there probably is something, you know, that is a problem if people are finding solutions and all these different ways to try to tackle it. So that's a good thing in a way. And which one, you know, I guess your mileage may vary, right? You you try the thing that works for you, and and if it's comfortable and it, and it works, then you've solved a problem. Move on to the next one. That's kind of what I did, but that's not to say I wouldn't go back to uh, looking at these options. Maybe iFlux is a good thing for me. Um, I don't. I I'd be interested in trying it. I'll give it a shot. I don't remember the one I tried a while back, but it simulated a full day: sunrise, noon, and sunset. So you had the orange, blue, and and red shift uh, as you went throughout the day, and the theory was that that would make it more comfortable. I didn't find it more comfortable. I found it, uh, I the inconsistency of it bothered me more than anything else. Um, and while it's true, if I were outside reading a sheet of white paper, it would take on a different color throughout the day, but. I'm not doing that. I'm looking at a digital representation, and I want it to be the same all the time. So maybe that was just my 15 minutes to Wapner and not a real issue. Uh, okay, so there was 40 minutes of millennial talk. Um, wasn't intending to, for that to happen, but I'm not mad that it did. Um, so I did want to, the reason I called this one um, – uh, irony defined was uh, I wanted to talk about something that has, has occurred to me recently. Um, but before we can go into that, I can't have a show title called irony defined and not define irony. So according to Miriam Webster, um, there are three common definitions of irony. Uh, one is the expression of one's meaning by using language that normally signifies the opposite, typically for humorous or emphatic effect. Secondly, a state of affairs or event that seems deliberately contrary to what one expects and is often amusing as a result. And thirdly, a literary technique originally used in Greek tragedy by which the full significance of a character's words or actions are clear to the audience or reader, although unknown to the character. It's the second definition that I want to focus on tonight. The thing that is the opposite of what you think it would be. Uh, and I'm talking about companies who set out to do something... And it ends up being the opposite. My subtitle for this is why big companies suck at change. So here's what occurred to me. I, I, I don't remember the context of it, but I was thinking, um, oh, yeah, I do remember. I was talking with a friend of mine about uh, Microsoft and Microsoft in terms of um, their stock. Is it a buy or is it a, um, a sell or is it a hold? And Microsoft has been a hold for the best part of 20 years now. Uh, because they're not growing. And the in the U.S., we have this unreasonable and un irrational expectation that all stocks go up all the time. And it's just not real. And, and my, con my the, the conversation I was having with my friend 
was how his company, um, in order to hit their sales projections for 2016, sold into 2017. So that they're essentially they're doing they sold projects in 2016 that they won't be able to finish until July 2017, which means there is there's no scenario by which they won't uh, come in under uh, expectations for 2017 unless somebody does some sort of mathematical trick. And and the concept there is the reason this happens is because we the investors and I you know and when I'm looking at my 401k I don't want to hold on to things that aren't growing. I, I move things around into everything that's growing. So we are we have created this situation where we expect a, a company to grow all the time. Microsoft makes like nine billion a year or something, and people think they're not a good company because they're not increasing that to ten billion and eleven billion and twelve billion. Well, they reach saturation. So Microsoft is trying to figure out what what's the next thing. How are we going to be a buy again? So they decided we're going to be. A services company. We've heard this message. You know, first they tried hardware, found out they're not really good at hardware. Um, uh, so now they're going to be a services company. Well, how does Microsoft, uh, a company with essentially two products, they have lots of products, but really their main, their meat and potatoes is uh, Windows and Office. Everything else, you know, is the 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 ten percent, the ninety percent is those two, um, and we all know that. That's what we think of Microsoft as. They're the Windows company or the Office company. So how do you take your your meat and potatoes, your 90% of your business, and make it and, and pivot to be a software as a service company? So they're sitting around a boardroom. This is my this is what I project might happen. Uh, we see that the future is going to be services. It's not going to be selling uh, software anymore, and it's not going to be selling hardware anymore. Um, Apple, even the great Apple that made billions uh, selling hardware, is having trouble selling hardware anymore because. There's only so many times you can change the bevel from 48 degrees to 47 degrees. You know, we're just, we have reached that point of saturation. Microsoft has reached the point of saturation with Windows. Everybody has a copy of Windows. They just do. Whether it's legal or not is a different story, but everybody has a copy of Windows. Um, So they're at saturation. They said, how are we going to become a software as a service company? Well, we'll just turn our existing products into software as a service. All right, good. How do we do that? Okay, well, let's take the thing that they bought outright last month and charge them $10 a month for it starting next month. Now we're software as a service. Boom, done. Uh, n- no, that that's not software as a service. That's exactly the same product, but now you're charging me for it more, right? It's where I used to pay $100 once. Now I'm paying $500 uh, for it over five years. Well, what's great wrong for with you? That? But yeah, it's, yeah, it's great for you, but it's not software as a service. That's not a pivot. It's yeah, not a real thing. They're doing the same amount of work, but making more money. Isn't that what we as a worker, we want to do the same amount of work, yeah. but we want to get paid more for it. But is they're it going to cor- work? Of course it's not going to work. Um, because what's, you know, the there's, there's only two ways you can make that work. Uh, you have to disable the product as soon as you stop paying for it. So my I bought uh, Office because my wife wanted the latest version of Publisher, and I, I bought the 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 subscription version of it, um, and we used it for for the school year so she could do her newsletters. And during the summer, I stopped paying for it, and it stopped working. Um, there, there's only so much goodwill people will give you, but at some point they're going to realize, hey, I've paid seven hundred dollars for this Office suite. That's that's not going to work. So again, in the same way that my friend's company did, they're borrowing from the future to make their bottom line look good now. It's not sustainable. It's not going to work. They're not a software as a service company. They're not. Their model isn't. 
They're just calling it that. So, I mean, what you're borrowing from the future, but there's only so long you can do that before the future collects. And the government's been doing it for years. <laughs> and look at where we are. Yep. We, we elected an orange man president because we got tired of that. You know? Well, you yeah. know, the, the thing that's interesting here is that Microsoft's last 20 years of business methodology was to, um, uh, now I'm trying to make my choice of words here carefully. I was going to say entrap, but that's not probably the right word. Leverage upon the past so that you had Windows and you can always move forward to the next version of Windows, whether you liked it or not, at a rate that Microsoft dictated rather than you, uh, to the point where... I know I don't know about you guys, but I remember maybe five, ten years ago, I felt like there was some sort of a cartel between Microsoft and Intel and everybody else going on that was forcing me to have to flip my computer every 18 months when I didn't really need to, but it just seemed to get slower and buggier and, you know, I had to have the new thing and it wouldn't work on this chipset and it was like, this is a setup. And I think that if that was the case, whether it was or it wasn't, it felt that way. And if that if that was the case, they ran out of steam sometime around about 2012. Um, so I think that that doesn't work in a new uh, world like online or cloud. Uh, you can't do that sort of thing. Microsoft sees cloud as a way where they can hold on to their IP in their own data centers and not give it out to you or give it out to somebody in China who's going to pirate 50,000 copies of it. They can control everything in their own ecosystem, well, and they me, like that. Let me stop I don't know if they know how to run it. Because sure. that's not what happens. That, that's, that would make sense. That's what Google does with Google Docs. But that's not what happens with Office 365. You download it, and you install it, and it's on your machine. No different than if you'd gotten the DVD and put it on there. But they're calling it software as a service because now you're paying for it every month. So it's a shell game. It's not even the thing that they say they're doing. Now, there is there is Office Live, which is their crippled version of Google Docs, where they are trying to maintain their IP. But they're really not. I mean, when I bought Office 365, I downloaded something like a, a three gigabyte file and installed it on my computer. Um, no different than if I had done the digital download of Office just you know last year when I could buy Office. It would have been the exact same process and, in fact, the exact same product. But now I'm paying by the month instead of buying it outright because they don't want me to buy it outright because the last time I bought Office was Office 2000, and I'm still using it. Why? Because we're, letters haven't changed. Typing a letter is still typing a letter. And it was only because my wife wanted to carry forward um, in Publisher – and there was some template or something she couldn't do with the old version. That's the only reason we changed. And that's the problem. Microsoft looked around and said, people aren't buying new products. You know, they were a victim of their own success. Windows XP is a great example of that. It's still around. I've got one right here to my right. Um, it's still around because it still works. And they kept trying, Miles, to get people to buy new software and and making deals with chip manufacturers or or not even deals but if if you don't want to go that way but um taking advantage of changes in infrastructure um was a way to get people to do that you had to buy new stuff but now the only time microsoft sells windows anymore is on a laptop on a on a new computer nobody goes out and buys windows that's not good if windows is 40 percent of your income so how do you fix that well now you charge people a subscription for the same exact product that they used to buy 
Yeah. Um, is that just a matter of them thinking that everybody else is doing that because they're offering a cloud service and yes. therefore they feel they can take the economic model of it and retrofit it into a non-cloud distribution model then? And that's, that's why I call this irony because it's the opposite of what they think they're doing. They think their software is a service. They're not. They're subs- it's a subscription. Okay, so Netflix is a subscription. But I don't buy Netflix. There's no download for Netflix. There's no library that I have on my computer. I am subscribing to an existing product that is out there, and when I stop subscribing, the access goes away. That makes sense. But with Office, that's not what's happening. I am buying a thing. I am downloading the thing. I am installing the thing, and it checks back periodically to see if I still get access to the thing. That's not a subscription. It's what they they think they're subscribing, but they're really not. It's a lease rather than a buy. Well, it always like, was. I mean, right. when you the license agreement always said this is ours and we can take it away from you anything anytime you want. Deal with it. Um, and now it's this is ours and we will take it away from you unless you pay us ten dollars a month. Um, and you know my, my other example is this this latest thing with Directv now. If you're a cord cutter, we've talked about it before. It's another thing. It's the cable companies. You know, cord cutters have all said we're tired of the way cable companies treat us. We're tired of the way they do business. I don't want to subsidize ESPN by having to watch um, History Channel twenty four seven. And and you know I don't want that. I want to buy what I want to watch. I want to buy the disney channel i want to buy the food network i want to buy the discovery and i'm done well that doesn't exist but people are getting a little closer with these skinny bundles uh sling tv and that sort of thing well direct tv now is has come out with their thing and it's essentially direct tv without the the dish they think they're offering a cord cutting solution but they're not they're just offering a cheaper version of the package that they could have offered people who already have the dish, right? So if, if I've already have the dish and I already have the decoder in my off, uh, in my house, you've already spent the money on that. Why not offer me the $35 DirecTV Now price? Because the, the content is exactly the same. The delivery is exactly the satellites are still up in space, right? You're not losing anything. But they're, they think they have pivoted, but they haven't. And what's going to happen, what's already happened, is they're they're currently, before the product has even released yet uh, to wide release, they're in um, negotiations with their content creators. The same thing that always happens, you know, uh, Dish TV is going to steal, uh, take away TBS and or whatever it is, and you're not going to be able to watch AMC, and you're not going to be able to watch The Walking Dead. Call now to tell them you want The Walking Dead, which means hey, we're AMC, and we've jacked up the price of this three times, and understandably, uh, DirecTV is, is, doesn't like that, and we need you to call and leverage them so that they will to pay our prices. This is the exact same thing. It's just now not uh, uh, over the, the beam down from space, but sent over IP packets. The irony is they think they have pivoted, but they have not. AT&T thinks they have done some good, but they haven't. And we, the consumer... In both cases, in the case of Microsoft and the case of, of cord cutting, we think, yay, finally somebody's listening to us. But we're getting the exact same crap with the exact same problems, but now we're paying for it every month. You know, and, and it's, again, irony subscribe, uh, applies here because we think we got something new. Yay, they've listened to us. Well, they haven't. It's the same old butt reaming it always was. It's just now a different flavor. You know, there's different background music going on while you're being violated. That's the only difference. 
Hmm. Um, my yeah, I'm not a fan of paying uh, uh, subscriptions on anything, um, and that's just more from a budgeting standpoint. I, I try to, I try to look at. I, mean, I I I don't know. For me, I live by a kind of a principle of trying to save as much as possible of what I make and not spend it on things that are either unnecessary or that haven't at least gone through some sort of a sanity check all the time. And these subscriptions tend to be, they feel small and eventually they keep going up and up and up. We see it with our phone bills. We see it with our health insurance. We see it with, with our cable, right? And at some point you want the freedom to break free of that. Um, is the, is the world as these companies are describing it putting us in a position where we will have no alternative to break free from that? It's, well, that's the way it's been, right? I mean, we've we've railed about the the duopolies and monopolies uh, created uh, by the cable companies or the, by the government for the cable companies. You know, now it's just a system where the market is creating a monopoly. Right. So if there's any, there's any new technology that comes out that kind of disrupts that, they're going to put all of their effort into doing anything they can to shut it down to maintain this monopolistic control of the pipe, the, the water right. faucet, if you like. And right. so that's why, you know, AT&T, AT&T, which owns DirecTV now, is selling you video which uh, in, in high def, which roughly, uh, these are rough numbers, but uh, an hour of HD video is about uh, a gigabyte of download streaming so now people are putting uh caps at&t has a very uh, uh small cap like 300 gigs i think so but you're their direct tv is exempt from their cap and the federal only on government mobile. is getting is selling them that's wrong yeah only on mobile so it's a, it's uh, if you have direct tv uh dsl or at&t dsl or fiber in your home or cable that's not exempt there uh, but yeah, you you bring that point up there. You know, Pasadena, uh, California, um, they're missing their taxes on this sort of stuff. So they're trying to enact a video tax, right? One of the one of the main reasons that uh, um, uh, PlayStation View and Sling TV is cheaper than your cable is because that whole line, you know, I it, uh, when I buy uh, PlayStation View, it's twenty nine ninety nine a month, and every month twenty nine ninety nine exactly comes out of my account. It's not you know uh, when I when I had cable. It was, say it was twenty nine ninety nine a month, um, fifty six thirty four would come out because it was all taxes. Well, the government is feeling that pinch too, and now Pasadena is trying to tax directly Netflix or Hulu or any video streaming. So they're having these people pay them a tax to the customers in their uh, jurisdiction because they're missing that revenue too. And so it's another example of this thing that's a change isn't a change. It's the whole reason I moved to Linux is to get away from that exact entrapment. And, you know, it's the whole reason I cut the cord and went to free over the air TV. It's exactly the same issue. Um, I just, I don't know. I mean, wh where do you go to try to get access to the broader internet without having to pay a, a fee, a plumbing fee to the various providers for that? Um, I don't know. That's They're, they're going to get us at some point. I guess it's a question of mitigating the risks. Um but yeah, you, you, I hear you. I mean, this is this is ridiculous because I I'd love to buy something and own it. I mean, it seems like the copyright office is sort of agreeing with that principle these days that they've relaxed DMCA regulations to allow you to 
be able to tinker with things that you own legally, which you couldn't have done before. I know the EFF is out there fighting for right. this really hard. Um, do we have to raise hell with those groups to say, no, we don't, we want the option to buy something as well as the option to lease it? Well, then that goes back to the conversation we were having before the show started. People don't buy stuff. We've created right. a society of people who don't buy stuff. Well, and look, think about this. My dad loved books and bought books voraciously. So has a consequence of that, I have access to a huge library um, that, you know, I would say my kids, but <laughs> my relatives or whoever will then have access to at a later date. But Mark, you have subscribed to Audible. So technically, when you die, all of the money you've invested to that is just lost because you don't get to pass that on to somebody, you know, um, are you yeah, not, not only do I not get to uh, pass it on to another account, it's a, it's illegal for me to give somebody the password to my account. So I can't in my will say the password to my automobile account is this. Um, cause I can't do that. So you're right. It, I am, I have borrowed the experience for a while and nothing more. Right. And so, you know, like where's, my dad, I, I love the paper. I love to read the paper. So I have those books I can pass on. You know, I can give someone the benefit of my purchases, whereas, you know, Audible uh, software as a service, as opposed to buying the physical media, all of that, you know, or renting the software, all of that just means that it's, it's screwing the consumer for, the, you know, it's good news for the company that puts it out because they can turn around and sell the exact same thing for the exact same money and not have to do any more work. Whereas before, you know, I bought a book. If you want to stay in business, you need to put out another book I want to buy rather than just wait till I die and the next generation rises up and they have to pay for all those same books again. Yeah, I, I, Chag in the chat room has brought up a couple of times here and I'm going to call you out, Chag. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing by the, the experiences we've had with you in the chat room over time that you are, you are also a millennial or probably uh, at least a young Xer. Uh, and you immediately went to stealing stuff. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm not, uh, I'm calling you out, but I'm not uh, berating you for it. That is just the natural mindset. We just go steal it if you can't get it legally. And there's a whole bunch of people who that's their first thought. Um, that's what I said earlier. Everybody has a copy of windows. Not all of it have it legally. Um, that's not a new mindset, but, um, you know, uh, that's the reason it's, it's sort of, we've created this situation where we're, we get, we get what we deserve, right? We, we have an entire generation, two generations, really, I'm, I'm calling, uh, both, uh, uh, um, millennials and, uh, Gen Xers out on this one. We don't pay for stuff. None of us, um, boomers, man, they pay for stuff left and right. Uh, Xers and millennials, we don't pay for stuff. We just don't, um, you know, uh, if it's not paid for by a third party, we'll steal it. And by a third party, I mean advertisers. Uh, and technically, technically, when you 30-second skip a commercial on TV, you're stealing that content. Because your uh, attention to those commercials is the contract that was made. That's the only reason you're able to watch This Is Us or The Flash or whatever the great the thing is out there that I've read people talking about. Um that's the only reason you're able to watch that. Somebody else paid for that. Somebody paid for that content to be created and to be distributed to you. And the the bargain there was that you have to watch soap ads. 
But when you skip over that, you're stealing that content. Yeah. Unless you watch it on something like Netflix where you, where paid, you paid the money. It. So right. you paid for the privilege of watching it without ads. And, you know, and I have to admit, I, my most recent example of this is I was in Galveston Thursday and the Cowboys were playing, but the house I was staying at, they had canceled their cable because they just had internet. Well, because it was on the local NBC things, they didn't have a local NBC station. So I had to find an alternative way to view the Cowboy game because I had just ate and I didn't want to drive to a sports bar and buy another meal to watch the game. So um, I had, like I say, I had to search and I've heard there were some out there and I may or may not have been able to watch the last part of the first quarter and the rest of the entire game. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I don't feel bad about maybe having seen it because at my house, I have purchased and paid for the right to watch it. Wow, we, we, you know, we're talking about very interesting parallel or consistent topics all through the show today, you know, because we started talking about millennials and the expectations and working hard and all that, that stuff. And now we're talking about this subscription model as, as a kind of de facto mode of operandi for modus operandi for Microsoft. And I'm sure everybody else, I mean, next Apple will be doing it. Um, is this, Here's the problem. If you step back from all of this and you look at it kind of holistically, this is a setup to entrap everybody to be working for the man until the day you die because all you're going to be doing is having a bill that goes in every single month for every single thing that happens in every single part of your life. Now, putting that out there, how do you retire? How do you ever live when you're 60-something and you don't have income anymore? And you're still living in the same world of expenses like your Netflix, your Microsofts, your your uh, student loans from 40 years ago, your mortgage, which you haven't been able to pay off, your car lease that you can never get out of, your, your cell phone bill that's three years long and you can't afford to get out of that. How do you break free of that and go and have a life? And that, to me, is the big picture, right? That's the big picture. I want to be completely independent of that. How do I do it? I don't know. I guess we got to start putting some value on these little things that maybe they're not as insignificant as they appear. Maybe we don't need to be watching The Walking Dead every week. I'll put that out there. Maybe we don't need that cell phone. Maybe we don't need that new car. Um, there are people out there in, and I'll give millennials total credit for this because they're the ones driving this ship. There are people out there living in the what, what I would call the Mr. Money mustache world. These are people who have retired at the age of 31 or 35, and they did it by doing some crazy things when they were young and they didn't have build up all of these legacy monthly costs right the crazy things that you're talking about is self-deprivation right but we live in such a consumer society that seems crazy so maybe we need to to, to classify what is acceptable self-deprivation it's like a frugality without deprivation right being reasonable and not buying every single thing you see in best buy or committing to everything you see in the mall, or, you know, maybe we need to stop doing that, and before we spend $1, we save 50% of our paycheck. And then, if we do that, 
we can ration what we do and then maybe at that point Microsoft doesn't get a marketplace anymore because not all of us are dumb enough to sign up for this stupid idea. Maybe we all go and get Linux and we run LibreOffice. I don't know. I'm throwing it out there. It might sound radical, but it solves every millennials problem out there and it solves every baby boomers at the same time. My grandfather once told me that when he came back from World War II and bought his first house, the mortgage was 50% down, the 50% over five years. It's a 60-month mortgage with 50, 50% down. Um, that seems utterly incomprehensible to us. It wasn't because he had more money. It was because he bought a two-room house. Um, right. You know, he bought what he could afford. He, he bought, you know, what most of us would consider a car loan. Uh, you know, a, 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 a 60 month, uh, loan, uh, for, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make, do the math in my head here. I'm going to say that his first house was probably 50% of his annual income that I'm just, I'm guessing. Right. Whereas today, the, what we say is you should have a, try to have a down payment. That's 40% of your annual income. That's what, that's what we tell people. Um, and you want to have a payment that's not more than thirty percent of your annual of your monthly income for thirty years, right? And that's so, considered sound business practice. Sound financial practices is to have a a, a fixed uh, call it a fifteen year fixed uh, if you're really uh, walking the edge with a <clears throat> with a monthly payment where the taxes, insurance, and uh, everything and payment is not more than thirty percent of your take home pay. That can that miles seems crazy for for deprivations. Uh, you mean I can't have a, a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar five bedroom house for me and my newlywed wife? No, you can't. My fifty year old parents have a two hundred thousand dollar house. Why can't I, a twenty nine year old yeah. recent college graduate, have a fifty five hundred thousand dollar house? So, yeah, you know, I mean, David Ramsey has some great advice. Live like no one else now, so later you can live like no one else. Right. And yeah, yeah. Too bad we don't want to. You know, but the bad thing, Miles, the reason that what you're saying doesn't work is because America has is dependent on the consumer mindset to run our economy. The if, entire if, country would collapse. It yes. would. I mean, you know, and. It would be it would be chaos and hell for six months. At the end of that six months, we would be a much better country. But the problem is, we gave all our stuff away and be, have become indebted to the rest of the world because we're still going to pay them back, even though we told them they don't have to pay us back. Um, anyway, I could go off on politics, everyday politics, but you know. If we quit producing stuff, you know, the the American dollar is still the de facto world currency, and it's where all the other countries run when their financial system is in trouble. If our financial system went in trouble, you know, granted, China has a huge economy, but part of it, most of their huge economy is selling their stuff at tremendously large markups to us stupid Americans. If we stop buying it, their economy collapses too, and when the top two economies in the world crash, do you think anybody else will survive? No. It no, would be, it would be right. at least six months to a year of absolute chaos. It would probably be better on the other side, but that would be chaos. And so or yeah. what kind of chaos are you talking Are you talking about Mad Max level chaos? You know, I mean, banks trying to repossess stuff because 
everybody gets laid off because nobody is buying goods and services because they're trying to save their money. So therefore companies that don't go bankrupt are cutting their expenses and they're not going to cut the, the executives aren't going to cut their salaries. They're going to cut the salaries of all the little guys. And it's, you know, you're talking massive inflation, massive unemployment, basically the great depression. Yeah. Okay. Unless you didn't rely on any of those utilities. Well, right. so you, you would be re- the exception, right? right. The people, there were people who floated through the Great Depression without feeling much of a pinch. But, you know, it, they were the, the, the rare exceptions. And many of those had billions and it was reduced to millions. Um, but there, there are very few who were able to just write it out. And, you know, sure, there are people who could do that today. There's a whole prepper society of people who are planning that very thing. Um, but they're definitely the exception and not the rule. It's an interesting. You're describing, um, like in software engineering, I'll get back to a geeky slant on this. Um, in software engineering, that would be you're defining the requirement, but that doesn't mean that we are designing a solution to be constrained by it. Um, you, the requirement here is we've got $20 trillion in debt. The economy runs on the basis of borrowing and indebted uh, servitude and that uh, people are distracted by little shiny gadgets and we can't seem to work out that we're going to be working until the day we die as a greeter in Walmart because we've got student loans that we shouldn't have had and blah, blah, blah. I mean, th- that's that's the problem domain. That's not the, That's not the reality. That's the problem domain. What we need to do is solve that problem domain. The problem is that at a global level, at a big level, it's very, very hard to get everybody to align to seeing that problem domain to attempt to solve it. There's all the issues of politics and there's so many vested interests that want to keep that, that problem domain as is, a la Microsoft. <laughs> right. um, they're one of many, right? So th- that's okay. But we as individuals, we as smart geeks have a wonderful human trait, and that is what we can invent ourselves out of these problems. And maybe we can invent ourselves out of it at a microscopic level, Maybe we can't do it macroscopically, but maybe we can do it in our own little way. Maybe we can cut the cord. Maybe we can use Linux. Maybe we can find a cheaper cell phone plan. Maybe we can decide, you know what, we don't need Office 365. We're going LibreOffice. You know, all this stuff, we can do these little things that all add together and give our freedom back. And it's, I think at the end of the day, if you, if you are that shining light on the hill and you're that person that does all that stuff, you pay your house off. You have a freehold house, so you don't, you're not indebted to a bank. You trade in Bitcoin, so you don't have to worry about paying merchant fees and all that other, you know, arbitrage stuff going on. You, you know, well, I mean, I'm living, I'm describing a utopian world that probably will be so foreign to most people. But if you even try to a, a, attain that in some little way and you're that shining light on the hill, I guarantee there will be other people go to that light and, and, Maybe our li- I'm, I think our listeners here are uh, more uh, on board with that sort of thing than, than we probably give them credit for. Which yeah. is why they don't pay us anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. Right on. <laughs> Seth, you were going to say? No, I was just going to say, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is I'm, I am trying to get out from under the, you know, where I – can operate in society from a position of strength rather than a position of weakness. Um, I believe it's a proverb somewhere in Proverbs in the Bible, but the borrower is subject to the lender. So if you have debt, you know, granted, 
most millennials and Gen Xers today don't care about declaring bankruptcy because their word means nothing to them. But, you know, I go back to 10 years ago, I was staring at darn near $80,000 in debt, making like $35,000 a year. And everybody I knew said, you need to declare bankruptcy. You need to declare bankruptcy. And I was like, no, I need to be a man of my word and, you know, get out from under this. And so it took me a long time. And you know, now I have much less debt and a larger percentage of it is a car. I've paid off most all of my stupid debt. Um, so, but because my word means something to me, every agreement people went into, they signed a note or there was a verbal agreement that if you give me this money now, I will pay you back X money later. But the problem is today, most people's words don't mean anything, but my word meant something and I want to get out from under that. And so I'm looking at and trying to think of, And I just, I'm not very creative in these things. And so, but I'm working to get out from under that and to get out and where I can be on top instead of, I can be on top of a small hill instead of at the bottom of a big hill. I don't really know if that ties in, but. What you just just described there, Seth, is the, the burden of honor. Um, And it is the, the, to, to have, to be a person of honor is to carry a burden uh, that you know the people without honor don't carry, um, and you just have to kind of k- trust that life honors honor, you know, and and sometimes it doesn't. But at the end, you know, it's hard to shave blindfolded, so you got to be able to look at the man in the mirror, right? And 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 figure out who you are. And, and I, I again, running right back to this conversation uh, about millennials, young people in general. It, now it's the millennials. It's your turn. Um, Young people don't know who they are. They're still trying to figure that out. And maybe the reason that Gen Xers uh, weren't as screwed up uh, when they were in college is that we didn't have the access that we did. We didn't. We didn't have. We weren't able to to feed off of the stupidity of others. Uh, our stupidity was isolated, right? Uh, and there certainly wasn't Facebook to document our stupidity um, for all the world to see. So I I don't believe that the millennials are different people. Than um, than Gen Xers or than than anybody else. I just believe that they live in a different society, and maybe we can't expect the rules that we followed to to apply to them. But hopefully, the burden of honor is something that is carried generationally. Because without it, there there isn't anything. I believe that. Maybe maybe that is a belief system. Maybe that's not even a reality. I don't know the answer to that, but my belief system tells me that honor is its own reward and that I don't need external reward for being a man of honor. You, uh, you held to your convictions there when it would have been easier to do the other thing. You paid a price for honor there. Um, and you believe that that in itself is the reward, or maybe you believe that there will be rewards, rewards after death for that. Whatever, whatever your personal belief, uh, uh, structure is, I know you're Seth, but I'm speaking to the audience, whatever your personal belief structure is, um, we all have to make a choice to bear the burden of honor because without it, there can no, can be no society. And that's what worries me. I, I just now put into words all this thing that's been bothering me about this entire political cycle and the reaction to it is we're seeing the consequences of when people choose not to bear the burden of honor. Society and a fundamental structure breaks down. There cannot be society where there is no honor. That's true. That's very true. 
there's also um, uh, a, an opportunistic situation which occurs with these sorts of things. There, there was a very interesting video of a, a professor from, I'm going to say it's Brown University, by the guy uh, by the name of Mark Blythe, B-L-Y-T-H. He's a Scotsman, um, a very <laughs> strong-accented Scotsman, but a very, very smart man. And he summed up the entire climate around Brexit, Trump, and everything else, pretty much predicted everything that happened. And I watched his uh, a, a, a lecture he was giving, and uh, he had mentioned that really all of these situations are occurred by the fact that we are so uh, there's such a, a distance between those that have and those that don't have that there's this kind of built-in animosity, built-in anxiety that's come out of that, and as a result, they rise up to whoever is really hitting them emotionally in the, the gut where they want to be. And that's why there's these opportunistic movements going on all over the place of, um, you know, sometimes far right leaders popping up who never expected would ever get voted in, but they're doing it because they're hitting the, the, the mark. Well, they're hitting the mark because, you know, the, the, the people who are, uh, are out there signing up for Microsoft every month, they're, you know, signing up for all this sort of stuff. You know, eventually they don't have any money left and they're trying to go and buy food or they're trying to pay, put gas in their car or whatever and they can't and they're looking for somebody to blame. Well, on a, you know, here's where you put your blame. Don't buy Microsoft. Then you'll have, what, what is it, 10 bucks a month or something yep. for that? Okay. That's, a, that's what, half a tank of gas in a small, cheap, you know, crappy car. But it's enough to get you to work and back. And then, you know, you'll have money from that. You'll be able to save it. You'll be able to get yourself out of trouble. And then you don't care who's in power politically. Well, you probably do. But, you know, for not not for economic reasons. Yeah, um, the power of compounding interest works both ways. If you owe compounding interest, oh, my gosh, you, you keep paying and you never make any. But if you get compounding interest working for you, then all of a sudden you've got money that you didn't make. Your money made itself. And that becomes a good thing. So... You know, you just have to take what the corporations, they went to business school to learn how to maximize making their money work for them. And we were too busy making money so that we could have Facebook while we're driving down the road texting to someone to think about how can we make our money work for us so I don't have to go out and dig ditches at 45 or 50 or 65 years old in order to be able to eat ramen twice a week. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. This is so not the direction I thought this was going to go, uh, <laughs> but I'm down with it. I'm enjoying this. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I just want to navel gaze for just a minute. Um, you guys, you, Seth and, and Miles, are smart guys who can talk about a wide range of discussions. And that's what I wanted the Geek Rant show to be. So we, we, we're there, you know, and that's why people listen to it and they say with surprise, I actually liked it. Well, yeah, you like smart people with, with who can, you don't have to agree with me, but you do have to admit that I back up my statements most of the time. You know, and that's that's called intellectual honesty. We can disagree with each other in an intellectual way. So I just just wanted to to break the flow of this to just say for a moment, this is exactly what I wanted this show to be. So yay, uh, I I had a, a roadmap of where we were going to go with that, and we didn't go anywhere near that. Um, and also, we didn't do any news. <laughs> no, really, no <laughs> <Yeah>. news. <laughs> 
What, again? <laughs> so, um, a little inside baseball programming point here. Uh, we're pre-recording the uh, Christmas Day and New Year's Day shows. Um, they won't be released on Christmas Day and New Year's Day, but they, they would have been recorded on those days. So, we're going to pre-record those, and those are going to be all news, except it'll be olds by then. But that's okay, because it's not the, the content, it's the commentary. That's that's what you can get the content anywhere, but you can all get the commentary right here. Okay. And, and having said that, well, I was just going to say the com- the comments may or may not be related to the news. <laughs> <laughs> <Is> that true? <laughs> yeah, now, I I would like to say what we do is called tangents, but tangents are at least connected at one point in the circle, um, and we're often not. Um, but Seth, if I'm reading the uh, the title of the link correctly. Your show closing spectacular fits in perfectly here, so let's jump straight to that. Okay, um, I have titled this link "Power to the People." Woohoo! So all those alt left people, they'll really jump right in on this. But uh, this is a website I had never heard of, Walden Labs uh, Solutions for Self Reliance and Twenty One Technologies Decentralizing the Economy. So there are twenty one different ways that you can. May move off grid, but maybe off the economic grid or a little bit off the power grid, but you can begin to utilize your resources to do more. And then so you don't have to use your money to do these and you can use your money for something else. But some of them are, you know, they, one of the things in here is nuclear power. Okay. I don't want anybody who listens to this show to start a nuclear reactor in your backyard, but um, other things, (laughs) yeah. Other things like space intensive agriculture, uh, window farms, um, vertical high rise farming, polyface farming, cold frame and hoop houses. Just there's all different kinds of ways here. Some of them work best if you live in a country setting, you know, you have some acreage, but there's other things that can be implemented in a, in a city environment. But, um, again, some of these really aren't practical for one person to do, but just something to kind of get your brain thinking about what is something I can do to kind of take back some economic power in my life. Maybe none of these 21 things will work for you, but if you sit and think about them, hey, what if I did that but did not in that way? And maybe this is something that can help people out. So um, I don't know that the way this could decrease your productivity is you get caught doing this at work and fired, thus making me look like a better hire. But otherwise, this is something that could actually make you enough money maybe where you could quit the job and there would be an opening for me. So those are my two <laughs> ways that this benefits me if I'm coming back to that uh, self, uh, self-interest self thing. Okay. This is really cool, by the way. I really like this. There's so much good stuff in this website. Definitely a major, major coup finding this one, Seth. Yeah. Biogas generators, which basically means burning your own feces. Well, <laughs> or the, the, the um, gas that the feces release is right. then is harnessed and caught. And again, you might not could do that in an apartment, <laughs> you know, unless you uh, put a cork in the bathtub and sealed it down somehow. But, you know, otherwise... Some of these are just different thoughts. All right. That's good stuff. And now uh, I'll let you keep the floor. Tell us what happened this week in history. Okay. This was a really cool thing. There were several uh, choices I had, but I went with December the 2nd, 1991. Apple 
releases QuickTime. So this is like the one thing Apple did. They didn't just take somebody else's idea and make it better. But Apple releases version 1.0 of QuickTime, a multimedia extension for playing color video, transforming the capabilities of personal computers. Before QuickTime, only specialized computers could play color video. QuickTime allowed anyone with a personal computer to do so, and it changed the history of computing in more ways than one. And it was the patent infringement battle over QuickTime that led to the now famous truce between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates in 1997 that helped Apple survive long enough to transform itself in the 2000s. And all you Apple snobs, you don't know this because you came to your snobbery too late. You really owe Microsoft your very existence. Uh, Microsoft came in as an investor for Apple when Apple was just about to go under because of years and years of gross neglect and mismanagement. But anyway, uh, Apple releases QuickTime this week in history, all the way back in 1991, 25 years ago. Wow. And that was the birth of the multimedia computer. Prior to that, it was single media computer. Right. All right, good stuff. And also, uh, I don't want to gloss over the release date of this is another uh, uh, date in history, December 7th, uh, Pearl Harbor Day uh, in 1941, when uh, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. Uh, we will be hitting the anniversary of that, uh, bringing uh, 75 America, years. Wow. Yeah. Bringing America full force wow. into the Second World War. We had been trying to avoid that assiduously for a long time. And uh, I forget who used the phrase, uh, but I think it might have been, was it Stalin? Somebody said, You've woken the sleeping giant. Um, and filled her and, with a terrible you know, resolve. Yes, that and, was uh, that was actually the the um, I can't remember the admiral, the Japanese admiral, who said, "I fear all we have done is woken a terrible, is woken a sleeping giant, and filled her with a terrible resolve." And that's what happened, and the world changed on that day um, as well. So you get two days this week, uh, two dates. Um, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. If you would like to call me a turd ball, <laughs> you can go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, fill out the world's hardest captcha, and then fill out the form that gets uh, a priority in my in basket. You can call 559-IAM-OP, leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice box, and we'll play you your uh, stuff on the air, uh, probably. Uh, I say air. We're not on the air. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're in the air waves if somebody's not using headphones, I guess. Um, that's just the phrase that people use. Um, uh, we will be doing tomorrow, not tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, if you are listening to this, Tuesday, December 6th, we'll be pre-recording, and I'm going to go ahead and go live on that. Uh, so just so you know, if you happen to be around on Tuesday around uh, the same time, 7.30 Eastern, uh, we'll be doing that. So that's all I got to say about that. Uh, Miles, Seth, any final words of, of wisdom before we say good night? Oh, I think we've exhausted my ranting capability at this time. Yeah, you got to go back and recharge for a while. <laughs> really? I'll just let it simmer. All right. <laughs> so I'll just uh, I'll just finish by saying, "Go Cowboys!" One. And uh, that's it for this week. But we'll see you next time. Um, on see, I just I've I lost my my traditional ending. I, uh, we'll see we'll see you next time because that's it for this episode of the Geek Rant.